This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Luke Olivier Zmeble. And I'm Yannick Mayer. And what's our topic for this week, Yannick? Creativity and self-worth in the age of social media. Wow, big topic for this week. But before we start, we do have some follow-up. My follow-up is mostly consisting of the or more of my last episode about uh, Super Mario Odyssey. The first thing is Mario release uh, Nintendo release a first update to the game, which is its first add-on content update, and it's coming uh, next month. It, it just announced it's uh, in between uh, the release and this current episode. So the gist of this new add-on content update is that Mario will receive new outfits. There's a couple of new uh, photo mode filters, but the interesting part is there's a new mode in the game. Uh, the new mode is called Luigi's Balloon World, and there's two modes to it, the I did mode and the find it mode. And both of them consist in you have 30 seconds to run around uh, in a specific world or kingdom and depending on which mode you choose either you're the one hiding the balloons in this kingdom or you're the one trying to find them and what's interesting about the finding find it mode is that it's an online mode so people can hide um, balloons in kingdoms and you will be able to try to find them and then be on a big lead- online leaderboard so uh it's inter- I wasn't I was a bit surprised to see that Nintendo would release a uh, big add-on updates on Super Mario Odyssey and I'm eager to see where Nintendo is going with uh those updates or if it would only be this uh only update. Uh also related to my last episode it seems that I was a bit too excited about uh, the game last week and I kind of completely missed my transition from the spoiler free zone to the spoiler zone. <laughs> uh, Yannick added a small uh, message just at the right. It was not that bad to be honest. I think we could have just uh, put the bells on. But yes, I was a bit uh, too excited about the plot and started to just like not follow my notes anymore. Uh, but yeah, I guess this is kind of the clear, uh, the clear example of me being really excited about the game and really enjoying that game so i hope i didn't spoil anybody by accident uh, yannick did a good job to make sure so hopefully you will listen to the whole episode because you've either don't care about the spoilers or you played the game and you saw my bad job of a transition yannick do you have some follow-up before we continue uh well you talking about odyssey reminded me that i actually watched a few let's play videos of odyssey this week and i don't really get it this game is probably not for me uh, I'm just going to wait for the episode of New Junk City, and that'll be good enough for me. Um, but I do have some other notes here in my follow-up. <clears throat> so, the first is that uh, the financial newspaper Nikkei in Japan reports that Japan's switch sales, sor- ah, switch sales shortages, very hard to say that fast, appear to finally be over. Uh, Ooh. Mass market electronic stores are now getting shipments of reasonable amount, reasonable enough volume to accommodate demand. And at the same time, it appears that on the used market, the amount of trade-ins for Switch systems is five times higher than at the peak of the shortages. And because of that, the used console price has taken a big dip in value because of the increased availability. So if you're looking for a Switch in Japan, maybe getting one used is a great deal right now. So that's that item of follow-up. The next thing is Apple updated the iOS security guide uh, a week or so ago 
with changes for the iPhone 10 and newer versions of iOS. Uh, and in it, there was an interesting quote that reminded me of an anecdote you shared on the show, which is, Face ID is designed to work with hats, scarves, glasses, contact lenses, and many sunglasses. So you were talking about how you were having trouble with uh, Face ID recognizing your face with a scarf. Apparently, it's designed to work. So clearly, Face ID is broken. And speaking oh, of yeah, yeah, Face yeah, ID yeah. being broken, uh, one of the great perks of my job is that I am the only iPhone user in the entire office. And this means I get to hear public perception of iPhone features. And apparently, Face ID is a terrible feature that doesn't work. So that is your update from the non-iPhone word world. Face ID is a terrible feature that doesn't work. Wow. I would like to caveat it. So the reason why I brought it up, it was for exactly that, because I remember they mentioned scarves. So I was like, eh, oh, well, not uh, when you're putting it in winter mode, I guess. But ignoring that aspect, I would say that Face ID is pretty reliable in general. Like, I did not, I think that that, my, that was my main problem with it. And that's, I guess, a limitation like Touch ID had with gloves, like you compared when we talk about that. And it's funny that your uh, polling uh, segment of people is kind of like people that usually don't tend to be favorable of Apple products. So that's funny that you bring that up. Yeah, it's very interesting to hear their opinions about various Apple policies or things. Um, but yeah, I was more or less just making fun of you and not really trying to say anything about the feature itself. Uh, yeah, I know. Because I, I know. haven't used it. Uh, next up is a point about our episode on Twitch, which is uh, I talked quite a bit about YouTube gaming and the whole demonetization scandal and all that stuff. And this week there was a big change in the monetization criteria. Um, so previously the only requirement you had as a YouTube account to be allowed to put ads on your video was 10,000 video views. And this was really easy to hit because either you could make videos with heavy keyword traffic um, an example of this, I had made a video about a game in the Tekken series, and Tekken 7 came out at the same time, and I got like 1,500 views on that video, just because it was showing up in people's searches for Tekken, right? So it was rather easy to game it by doing that, or by just having one or two really popular videos uh, that would push you over the 10,000 video view uh, count. Now, it is actually much harder. You need a total of 4,000 hours of views in the last 12 months, or... No, not or, and, it's even worse, a thousand subscribers. Whoa, okay. So basically, the dream of putting ads on your video is dead for anyone below 1,000 subscribers, and you have to at least guarantee that each of your 1,000 subscribers watches four hours in the last year, which is pretty demanding, I would say. Um, Yeah, it's demanding on you, not on them, too, because in a way, watching four hours of video on YouTube is... Not that much if you're a big YouTube content uh, watcher. But if you don't have four hours of video to provide to the role, it's hard to make people watch uh, your maybe 10-minute videos uh, in a loop for a year or something like that. One of the main uh, classes of YouTubers that are being affected by this change are animators because animators have to actually draw every frame of their animation, whereas, quote, podcasters who just take webcam video of their entire thing uh, of them talking to themselves for four hours um they don't really have to put the same effort into their video to do so um so yeah big drama in the youtube scene about that so i just wanted to follow up on that and that is it for my follow-up uh, but next week's follow-up is going to be do i still have a voice 
<laughs> yeah, if you haven't realized, Yannick is a bit under the weather this week, and we tried to delay the recording as much as we could, but Yannick is not getting better, so send your positive energy, and hopefully, when you hear this episode, Yannick will feel better. I have had less than one night of sleep in two nights, so that is great. Um, so that's why we're talking about a huge topic this week. Yay! It's not that huge. Um, I tried to keep it to a reasonable length because I don't know how long I can speak. So let's get right into it. Uh, originally, I had planned to make the first episode of the year, uh, or my first episode of the year, a one-year anniversary of my Swan Song project. Uh, luckily, um, that isn't the case because I wouldn't have the voice to actually be able to say everything I have to say. And also, uh, I sort of said a bunch of the stuff I was going to say on that episode on Ducadivia's episode about Twitch. Uh, so I sort of ran out of material and I decided to put that idea to the side. And I'm wh- sorry. What I had left to talk about wasn't really specific to that project, but rather something that is coming up a lot amongst the creative people uh, in my life. And that is the notion of tying your own personal worth to the creative work you do and how it feels to get validation or not get validation from your online audience. Um, and I'm going to run through this, and now that I look at my notes, I'm actually kind of embarrassed that we're probably going to be done in 15 minutes, but that's the price you have to pay for my voice. Um, so, uh, point number one is you are not entitled to an audience. Um, now, I need to balance this with the size of your audience does not necessarily determine the quality of your project. Those two things are actually completely unrelated. Because the world is not a meritocracy, even if your project is really, really good, uh, the set of skills that you need in order in order for your project to be seen by a lot of people are not the same skills that are going to make your project high quality. Um, like, trust me, I know the people who went to college in marketing, they are all obnoxious assholes, and <laughs> oh my the creative artists that I know generally do not tend to be the same psychological profile as the obnoxious assholes at all. Um, if you were worried that, that Yannick would be so harsh this episode, even if he's sick, it's okay. Yannick is still Yannick somewhere between the cold. Trust me, that it could never get to that part of me. Um, no one likes acknowledging that success is a lot like a slot, slot machine, uh, but more often than not, it really is about being in the right place at the right time. Um, well, I was an iOS developer in the past, and you are right now, and we always hear about the App Store lottery, and how, oh, it's so great, I won the App Store lottery, I am one of a million people who actually got chose to have an app that is actually successful on the App Store. And it's not just an App Store problem, it's that the internet is so huge, and there is such a supply of creative material being pumped into your timeline 24 hours a day, that if we're being honest very little of it is going to have value to every individual person on the internet. And so you have to find and attract the people who are going to be specifically interested in what you're doing. And just because you have lots of people seeing your things doesn't mean they're going to be interested in it. Um, another common mistake is repeating the same steps as someone who was successful in the past isn't guaranteed to be a winning solution because there may be a completely different context around them uh, that you're missing or you're not taking into consideration. So, um, one of the common examples that comes up is that's fine for Marco, right? Marco Arment, uh, developer of Overcast, has this huge podcast that he does every week, which is one of the top listened to Apple podcasts in the scene. He can go on there and say, hey, I made this app with a goofy icon. It's called Nursing Clock. And, like, more people are going to buy Nursing Clock from one mention on an episode of ATP than anyone bought anything I made on the App Store while I was on there. 
Um, and it's normal because he has a bigger starting audience than me, but I can't just come on this podcast, which has no listeners, and come out with an app that does something completely different and come here and expect the same results. Like, there is always context to be taken into consideration. Come on, you're 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 a bit mean to the people that are just listening. Maybe they will download you, download and buy your app at ten times. Come on, it might be the same effect. Mm, he got more than <laughs> ten downloads on Nursing Clock. I can tell you that for sure. Uh, it's good that you bring this example because I have another different example that is related to some of the follow up we had about uh, YouTube and demonetization. Uh, in the past few years, I would say there's a lot of different uh, new people that is come, not different, but different types of car videos that is popping up and people are being popular by doing something different. And then you, you hear the, uh, I would say not the old folks, but the, the people that have been doing that for years. And that's why they said, like, we were there at the right time, my five, six, seven years ago, but even being there at the right time didn't mean we didn't do Nothing like a lot of people. Uh, a good example of that, I think, uh, Matt Farrow from the Smoking Tower mentioned that a lot in his podcast, saying that he had to work his ass off, even if he at some place at some time he was there at the right time, especially in the YouTube world. But still, he had to work and make sure that he was working hard to be where he's at. Com- comparing to that, where now new. Uh, new channels are being created but are providing different content and like not repeating the same stuff that people are making and that's why those those channels are popular a good example i mentioned in my past car uh, episodes was doug demiro he's doing completely different car reviews videos they're just funny and a good example of that i could say they are different it's like sometimes tony watches them with me and he's like i'm not a car person at all but those videos i understand them and the way he just brings fu- stuff, and it's always on a funny tone. It's about about the the weird caveats of a car and like sports car and supercar, and all of this. As it's so different from what we've used to see on the car video scene, that he has a strong following. But even before going viral, he was on YouTube for at least two or three years before his current peak. So even then, those. People are trying, it's a good example of those people trying to do something different and not repeating the same pattern that other successful people have been doing. Yep. Okay. So next point is external validation should not be the primary motivation for something that is a passion project. Because otherwise, is it really a passion project? Uh, do a project because you think you'll have fun doing it. Do a project because you th- want to bring something into this world that doesn't yet exist. Do a project because you want to learn some new skills that can be applied to something else in the future and widen your uh, portfolio of skills you have. If those three things aren't sufficient enough motivation for you to keep a project going, it probably isn't actually a passion project. And if success matters to you more than all of that, then your priorities should shift to making your your project more successful. But, of course, that has the consequence of potentially compromising the creative integrity of your work. You have to decide at some point... Am I making this something that is going to be successful? Even if it's not financially successful, if it's just something that gets a lot of views on the internet, you have to play that game to get that goal instead of playing the goal of making the best creative work and then wondering why the views aren't coming. It's because they're not the same thing at all. Yeah, at first, and if you're lucky, maybe by putting a lot of work in your passion, it might be become lucrative. But 
at first, usually a passion is something you spend your money on because it's something you're passionate about. You, like you can have the job, you still can like your job, but in the end, what drives you is your passions and hopefully your job and your, uh, your life as a whole aligns with your passion. But sometimes they kind of semi-align and you're, it's okay that they semi-align because that's life sometimes, but they become something you always want to do and you don't care that you're spending money because you're spending money in something you love to do. Yeah, and it's not just money. It's just time and energy as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, it's just because you uh, was focusing on money because it's something you mentioned directly, saying like, yes, yeah, sometimes people are mo- really focusing too much on making money. Sometimes it's good to f- not focus too much on losing money. And it's not it's losing like really with big quotes. Um, next up, being confident but humble is a good way to not let yourself be bothered by how, how unpopular your project may be. Um, so people who are uncertain about the quality of their own work are very likely to fall into a trap where they require outside validation to feel good about what they're producing. And it sort of becomes a negative cycle where like, you're not getting views, so you feel more miserable... But you feel more miserable because you're not getting views because you're, you don't know what to fix in your work because you think that if you fix the thing that's making it not popular, it's going to make it popular. But in reality, it has no relation to that, really. Um, Twitter is generally not a good venue for seeking criticism of your creative works, especially constructive criticism. Um, and drive-by traffic from likes and retweets, likes and retweets are unlikely to result in any meaningful discussion at all. In fact, if you do get anything from drive-by traffic, it's probably going to be harassment more than anything else. Uh, so maybe don't expect that Twitter is your gold mine of criticism. Um, consider seeking external communities or forums for that instead of expecting it to just fall into your lap. Um, because like that is a big problem that I see. If you need the validation to get the confidence that your project is good, and then it can be a sustainable um, passion project, it's sort of difficult because until that bootstrapping happens, you're just going to be miserable. And instead, it's probably better to be confident about your work, which, of course, like I'm saying this, it's not easy to be confident about something you're legitimately uh, unsure about. Um, but Yeah, and, and sometimes it's also easy to get some outside uh, crit- criticism from, uh, I think a good source is friends, but friends that you don't share the same passion with. So I, I think you and I could be a good example of that. Like, um, uh, I don't know. L- let's just say that you start a new series about animes. I don't know. Like, they re- oh, the Mahjong one. I, I don't remember its name. Oh, Saki? Yes. And you decide to do a, like a, a series of videos about the episode. I don't have any interest in it, but. I could be a great source of just giving you cues about the videos just because like I won't focus about the content so I might not be a good person to give you uh criticism about the content of it but I could be giving about like the way you talk or the way that the video is cut just different stuff and you might learn from places and you get constructive feedback from places you wouldn't expect. And I think for podcasts and video that is primarily information-based, there's usually a way to bend that content to be, even if it's not something that interests you directly, it can be entertaining. Like you were saying about Dagnamiro, where if I can just make it entertaining enough anyway, 
uh, people who might not necessarily care about one season of Mahjong anime might be interested in this thing for a completely different reason. Um, so it can give you a little twist on your work. Uh, of course, if you have like a full-on creative vision that it's not compatible with, then go ahead, do your thing. I'm all for that. But it can also give you different ideas as to how you can bend your thing uh, going forward. Um, so if you really hit the rock bottom, uh, please be aware, holding a pity party will only lose you support. Nobody wants to feel like they're being emotionally manipulated into supporting something that they don't have a legitimate interest in. And sometimes, like, you do this a couple times, and then somebody shows up and they're interested in your project, and you second-guess them because you can't tell if it's legitimate or if they're only trying to be interested in your project because of your pity party. And that is like, well, first of all, it's a big fuck you if they're an actual real fan of your work, because then they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm actually interested in your project. And if they were only uh, pretending to be interested in your project because you're having an emotional meltdown, well then, it's too bad because there's no good way to support you in that case, because you're just going to be angry either way. Um, so, like, there's enough drama on the internet already. Please do not contribute to that drama directly anymore. And just try to be content with your passion project as it is, instead of expecting the world to give you something that you feel you're entitled to. That is, like, the core problem with creativity on the internet these days. Is there's such an entitlement to attention and all that stuff. And, like, the war on attention is at an all-time high. Like, we know this shit. We're in the business. Like, Facebook, Twitter, all the social networks are doing everything that is possible to steal attention from you. Snapchat, like, what the fuck is this new Snapchat redesign? It's... Well, okay, I'm not going to talk about it. But... Uh, what? Did there's a Snapchat redesign? Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> you're better off not knowing about it. Uh, okay, sure. Um, Yeah. It's like... Everyone is trying to suck your attention away from you. And as a little person, um, as a single person, rather, who is trying to do something creative on the internet, you do not necessarily have the weapons to combat that. You can uh, learn how to manipulate those networks to a certain degree to try and get more visibility. But at a certain place, like, the systems are all failing you, and you can't blame anyone for that other than the social networks themselves. And, like, you're not going to convince people to go directly to your blog instead of consuming your media through those networks. Like, God, God knows every newspaper has tried, and they are not the, coming out the winner on that one. Um, so that is a basic overview of where I was going. Now I want to talk about two of my active creative projects and sort of go into how all of these points uh, fit in with those projects. But first, I need to cough. <laughs> Okay, so uh, first I want to talk about Swansong. Uh, so Swansong, uh, as I've mentioned a couple times in the past, is a series of videos I do every week on YouTube uh, about the game library for an obscure handheld system called the Bandai Wonderswan. And every week I play through the next game in chronological order. So I've made it most of the way through 1999's releases, and uh, I just make a video for each one. And some of them are really bad and boring games, but the main reason I wanted to make this project, first of all, I wanted to do a video project for a while now, uh, and I finally found something that I could do. And the other thing is, the Wonderswan is probably one of the least well-supported systems in terms of documentation on the internet. Uh, the internet wasn't really popular in Japan when it came out in 1999. 
uh, because it was sort of at that turning point between like the the press uh, magazines and all that stuff still being very important and cell phones, which were really the big thing that got Japanese people on the internet uh, because PCs are not so much common in Japan. Um, so there's really not that much websites on the internet that well, that existed back then and that still exist about the Wonder Swan in Japanese, and there's even less about it in English. Uh, so I decided I'm going to make this project, which is going to be a series of videos that is going to put actual real video footage of these games being played on the internet, while I also narrate and tell the stories of these games. And sometimes the boring games have really super interesting stories about how they were made, or the story of their development and all that stuff. And it's sort of unfortunate because those videos tend to not get views because people think, this looks like a boring game, therefore it has a boring story, which is not true, but whatever. It has a very limited scope, because WonderSwan, like, it's not a very popular system. It was only released in Japan. Uh, it's primarily a passion uh, of retro gamers, in particular, who want to collect rare stuff, uh, because the WonderSwan didn't sell particularly well either. Um, and on average, my videos get somewhere between 16 and 24 views uh, per video, which is really not a lot. Now, some of them have tons of views. Uh, like I said, the Tekken video got to a bunch of views because uh, I did my Tekken card challenge video right around the time the Tekken 7 came out on PS4. Uh, so that got a lot of views in. Uh, there's was, a... a, was that time? It was that part of no, what you described as... No, it's Okay, it's It's really like two weeks after Tekken 7 came out, like in the my schedule, it was you have to make a video about Tekken Guard Challenge, and I was like, oh cool, I'm gonna get a bunch of views. Uh, another great coincidence is uh, Denshin Go is a train simulator. This was my fourth video. It was one of the very first ones I did. Actually, oh, it's I the very first one. one I did uh, because for the first four videos, I didn't do them in actual order. I did the most interesting one first, which was the train simulator. Um, yeah, and I think that's the the kind of pilot you've sent around to yeah, friends and family. It's what I made to actually figure out what the format of these episodes are going to be. Um, and funnily enough, like there's a lot of fans of that game on YouTube. And the other thing is, there is a new Densha to Go that came out this year after, I believe, 10 years uh, they've spent not doing a Densha to Go game. So now I'm getting the search results for that that are hitting my video as well which is really interesting. So for games in established series, I can often get a lot of drive-by views um, if I do a game, uh, if I do something for a series that exists. Uh, eventually, I'm going to cash in big time because there are going to be a bunch of Final Fantasy games later on the Wonderswan <laughs> in like a year and a half. So that's going to be interesting. But until then, there's only one of them that I've done. Uh, so can't really bank on that yet. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting. And... I I guess this sort of ties into one of the unique advantages you have if you're doing it on YouTube, well, advantages and disadvantages, which is because YouTube has a recommendation engine, people who are interested in Wonderswan or people who are interested in specific series of games are more likely to see my video than if I was just doing it on my own on Vimeo or whatever. Um, and a lot of other projects don't have this luxury because I, I have the constant topic of Bandai Wonderswan every week, and I have the rotating topic of various game series every week that basically guarantees me a certain base level of visibility. Um, and it's still not a ton because, again, like interest in the Wonders one is fairly limited. And when I started this project, I pretty much already knew who like the top five viewers were going to be for that video because I talked to them regularly. Um, but it was still an interesting project. And I don't think this project is a failure just because it 
has few views, I think the mission statement behind this project is noble enough that it warrants to be completed even if it doesn't ever get views. Because then it'll be the series of record on every game on the Wonder Swan, and no one else will able will be able to be that unless they do it themselves, which only I am crazy enough to do that, really. Right, and, and kind of related to it, and I know we discussed that uh, offline a lot, is since you're building that documentation and all of this kind of paper trail of the history of this uh, game console, if YouTube goes away in 10 years and you just want to start your own website on it just to make sure that it stays alive, that could happen because now you'll be done with it and that's feasible. Hopefully you still have the passion at that time and maybe in 10, 20 years when the next Google exists, uh, that part of the internet that is pre-2005 won't die again. Yep, like and actually, it would. Um, I explicitly try not to mention features of YouTube in my videos for that reason. Because I just want my videos to be self-contained videos. I don't want to do the YouTuber thing of pointing in the upper right corner because, like, the UI on YouTube changes every goddamn week. Uh, and, like, the subscribe button isn't always at the same place. And the like button isn't always at the same place. And the comments might be on a sidebar in certain situations. And, like, you don't know what the UI is going to be, so you don't want to explicitly mention it. But I also want to be sure that if for some reason YouTube shuts down, which probably not really, but let's say it does, I can repost these videos on a different platform or on a website. And these videos can continue to be relevant and not make mention to things that don't exist outside of the original YouTube context. Um, which I know YouTube frowns upon a lot, but I tried to do as little of that as possible. Okay, the next one is going to be quite meta, but that is what we do on this podcast, and that is the podcast itself. Uh, Ooh, I thought we were supposed to stop talking about the, th- the podcast in the podcast. Well, everybody always says that, but they never do it. So <laughs> we're going to continue okay, so, this great tradition. Okay, so that's our moment now. <laughs> yeah, so... I don't think it's much of a secret that we have a regular audience of between 8 and 10 listeners, and this has remained more or less constant for all of our episodes. Uh, I think the big uh, outlier episode is... Well, there were two, actually. There was the episode I did about the Nintendo Switch reveal event, uh, which got a bit more clicks because people were interested in hearing what I have to say about the Switch, whereas people are not necessarily interested in hearing us talk about, I don't know, Swift optionals. Uh, for two hours. Um, so there was that. And it was a short episode, so people felt better listening to it. And the other thing is my Japan guide. Because, as I said on that episode, I was tired of telling people the same stuff over and over again, so I have been living by my promise to link them to the podcast every single time they ask me. And so far, I think like five or six people have listened to it just because of that. But otherwise, we have eight or ten listeners on all of our episodes. And I think we're pretty proud of what we put out um we put out a lot more we put a lot more effort into making the show good than i think most other podcasts with eight to ten listeners out there on the internet do but we do so because the quality bar for podcasts that we listen to is so high that what we consider an acceptable baseline of quality to us is above and beyond what most people consider to be reasonable um and i i think we're still like modest we're not like buying XLR gear and mixers and all that stuff. While it is very appealing to do so, uh, I don't think any of us think it's actually worth it for our setup, given our limited audience. 
Um, but really, the core of the show is we want the show to be unapologetically us, and the show is definitely flawed, but it's flawed in ways that are similar to ourselves, because that's what we want the show to be. Uh, and uh, as the person with the most character flaws on the show... Uh, oh, come on! I think this is a great thing. <laughs> okay, yes, it is a great thing, but uh, still come on about the most character flaw. But still... Uh, I think one of the best feedback I've received about our podcast from uh, a colleague that is listening to us, hopefully to this episode too, um, is that it shows that we've been friends for a long time. And it's really like if you're listening to friends chat about topics they love. And that has been our main goal for the last, what, four years? Three years. Three years. Uh, It's but still, it flies so much. It's crazy. Yeah, and uh, I've had a couple other people who've listened to the show randomly uh, because I was on podcasts with them or whatever. And occasionally they'll have suggestions for me like, oh, if you want to make the show more successful or marketable, you should do this or this or this. And like, one of the things I have to explain to them every time is like, there is no coherence between any of those topics we do on our show. Like, we say it on the sidebar of uh, the website where we host the blog. Uh, where we host the podcast, like, it's nerdy topics, occasionally technolo- uh, technology related, but not always. And I think the reason for that is we both have very varied interests. And if we were meeting up one to one, we would be talking about these varied interests in a very similar way to what we are doing on the show right now. And that is effectively what we want to do as our podcast. We were going to be, we were going to be having, oh, God damn it. <laughs> We were going to be having these conversations anyway, except it's better if we make them as a podcast because then other people can join in with us and be part of this experience. And hopefully we can entertain people in the process uh, when I'm not busy choking my lungs out. And yeah, so that's more or less what I had for this podcast. Wow, half an hour episode, shortest episode of all time aside from the Switch episode. But my lungs are terrible. Uh, I want to die. Right, and if I was just going to come back about uh, the middle part of this episode, um, I, th- I think the closest analog we have for our format is the uh, Edge Cases podcast that is retired. It was, a for huge ex- uh, it was a huge inspiration to us. Oh, yeah, it was, right? It is those two uh, friends, uh, I forgot their name. Well, French Andrew and po- Andrew yes, Pontius. But- I remember Andrew Pontius, but uh, I was full for something French. Okay. You have to do the hand gesture. Oh, French. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So those two were always talking about like any topic they had, but they had technology uh, programming in mind. So it was always programming in mind. And they were Yannick talking I... about like the system internals of developing software on System Seven for the Mac. Like nobody does that like in <laughs> two thousand nine. <laughs> right, but. The idea behind us is when we would meet is we would have those conversations about any topic that is always a passion, right? We were, since we lived on different, in different cities for so long, we were just like catching up on each other, meaning catch up on passion. And I think this is our greatest force in this episode, in this podcast. And yes, it may, makes, may makes it less marketable, but we're not here to market it. And I think this is what, uh, surprised me the most is we're still uh, running on this passion after three years and i like it so much and trust and me it, as the person who edits this podcast every week 
I am very aware that our show has flaws anyway, and there are flaws that we can fix even if we don't actually change the base formula of our show. And that excites me because it, it means the show can still get better. Um, I'm not sure where I'm going with this because I'm sick and I make no sense. Uh, are you <laughs> trying to say that you are trying to fix your, your throat or something? Because I think that could make sense, but still. Oh my god. But, oh my goodness. O hopefully, all of this is to say is that I think if, I think that what, correct me if I'm wrong. So it, what I understood from your episode is if you put a project out in the wall for passion first make sure that this stays through if you want to move it to something more professional or wanting to build a career out of it be sure to kind of have not a, a clear cut but just like say like it's moving for something that is just driven by my passion about it and maybe that when they decide to do that switch if you want to you're not forced to do it and but if you do you should change the way you uh the way you work with it and if you always want a side product to be always about passion you should never put it on the professional side of things for no reason because it is kind of setting yourself for failure okay the key takeaways you're not entitled to an audience um, fuck, I was gonna say something, but I forgot it. <laughs> wow, <laughs> I, I think we can end, uh, end it here. <clears throat> Voila. Wow, that is cruel, because I was going to say something super poetic, and then I forgot what I was gonna say. I feel bad, man. Okay, I think we'll wrap it up, unless you remember. You are not entitled to an audience, be grateful for what you have, and don't be cranky if you don't have what you think you deserve. There we go. Wow, I'm happy that you remember. And on that note, we'll wrap it up. If you want to look at our three years old back catalog, you can find the show at limitlesspossibility.net. You can also find the show note for this episode at limitless, limitlesspossibility.net slash 81. You can also find the latest news about the podcast. And hopefully, Yannick will be able to tweet about his health on the episode to say everything is fine for next episode. You can find those news at limitlesspossibility.limipo lim, underscore podcast. That's L-I-M-I-P-O underscore podcast. You can also find myself on Twitter at Lukonush. That's L-U-C-C-O-N-O-U-C-H-E. And you can find Yannick at Sakurina, S-A-K-U-R-I-N-A. Yannick, feel better, and we'll see you in two weeks. I'll try to sleep for more than 90 minutes tonight and see you in two weeks. <laughs> <coughs> oh, my God.